When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. We're back at you. We're here with you on Monday. Because that was like the last week. Gotta watch the tape. We were so busy during free agency, it bled over until Monday. Now, this is this week's Gotta Watch the Tape, but we're doing it again. Monday, we know you listened. We did two big free agent acquisitions. What do they do? How do they fit in? Tack McKinley, John Johnson. Now, two more. Anthony Walker and uh, Troy Hill. So that's what we're dealing with. We're going to start with uh, Scott Pasco. Then we're going to go to Ellis Williams. We'll do about 25 minutes on each dude. But we're going to start with, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Scott did kind of come up. Ellis, you know, Scott c- kind of had the idea for this podcast. I like to think of Scott as the guy who wears the green dot. So, you know, I, I think actually there's, we had an interesting conversation on the last pod about John Johnson wearing the green dot. But now they have another green dot candidate. So I don't know if they're going to have like a green dot, like thumb wrestling green dot like uh i don't know what you're gonna do to try to figure this out but we're starting with anthony walker scott patsko dive in on gotta watch the tape i think the way you solve that is one guy wears yellow one guy wears blue right (laughs) can we please get joe woods can we get this solution to joe woods right now that is brilliant that's that's right um so anthony walker anthony walker if uh you're into pro football focus grading he has not received very high PFF grades in his career graded at 45.5 overall last season on defense. He's never been higher than 61 uh, in the last three seasons. Brown signed a one-year deal, 3.5 million. So why would the Browns go after a guy like that? There's a couple of reasons. One Walker played uh, in the middle of a defense. that was very similar to the Browns defense last season, just like the Browns, the Colts rarely blitzed. The Browns ranked 30th in blitz percentage last season. The Colts were 31st. The Browns were 24th in quarterback pressure rate last season, which is why everybody has been calling for more pass rush help this offseason. The Colts, meanwhile, were just barely middle of the pack in pressure rate. They were only six spots ahead of the Browns. The difference here is the end result for each defense. The Browns ranked 25th in DVOA for defense. The Colts were 7th. That breaks down to 8th against the pass and ninth against the run. They were also 8th in PFF coverage grade. The Browns were 22nd. So, Walker understands how this type of scheme is supposed to work where you're only rushing four players where everybody else is dropping back in coverage. He's been a defensive captain in that scheme. He's had the green dot in that scheme and he knows what it looks like when it's successful. So that makes him right there kind of a good fit 
for what Joe Woods has been doing on defense. The second reason the Browns would go after Walker is that he's a good tackler. And I say that with an asterisk next to it, I guess, which we'll get to in a moment. But uh, Walker's PFF tackling grade last season, 75.1, which ranked 20th among linebackers. He was 16th in tackling efficiency, which had him with one missed tackle, one miss per tackle every 14.7 tackle attempts. He was breaked ahead of uh, Darius uh, Leonard, the two-time All-Pro, his former teammate with the Colts. Tackling ability is also the best trait that Goodson brought to the table with the Browns, so it stands to reason Andrew Berry would want to go out and try to replace that this offseason. This is where the asterisk comes in. Prior to 2020, Walker's tackling had some holes in it. He graded at replacement level in both 2019 and 2018 as a tackler. He had 40 missed tackles over those two seasons. His 21 misses last uh, in 2019 led everybody, led all linebackers. He had 17 misses in 2018, which uh, was sixth. Joe Schobert, and just bring back some memories, <laughs> the 2018 season, Joe Schobert, First overall among linebackers, 24 missed tackles. Jamie Collins, who was with the Browns that year, third with 20. So Walker was right there, uh, up there with them. However, when Walker was a rookie, he had limited action, but his tackling grade was really good. It was like 75.4. So I'll assume the Browns have an idea of which guy that Walker truly is. Uh, Ellis had a really good film breakdown on Walker, and you can see that he's a good tackler. He wraps up. It's fun to watch him tackle last season. Um, a lot of good uh, – highlights for him with tackling but it's not uncommon for a linebacker to have a ton of tackles and also have a lot of missed tackles because in 2018 and 2019 when Walker wasn't grading so well he had 85 and 90 tackles Schobert was really similar he had at least 99 tackles in like three of the last four years and remember Schobert made the Pro Bowl during that time but he was also among the league leaders in missed tackles during that time Levante David who was a potential linebacker prize in free agency this year before he resigned with the Bucks. He was top 10 in missed tackles too last season, but he also had 114 successful tackles. So it comes with the territory a little bit. If you're around the ball all the time and you're making a lot of tackles, you're probably going to miss a lot of tackles as well. Despite that though, in 2018 and 2019, when, when Walker wasn't grading so well in tackling, he still made a lot of defensive stops. That's another PFF stat that basically means you're making a play that leads to a failure for the offense. It's like taking success rate and converting it to defense. If Walker makes a tackle uh, for a four-yard gain on third and five, that's a stop. He had 50 of those in 2018, and that ranks seventh among all linebackers. He had 53 the year before, tied with Schobert. Um, last season, he made 44 tackles short of a first down, uh, which was basically the same amount that Leonard had with the Colts. So, again, he's a guy in the middle of the defense, very similar to Goodson. He's going to make plays, really good tackler. Yeah, he's going to miss some, but – Andrew Berry went out and found a guy who is comparable to what they, they lost in Goodson. And anyways, those are the kind of the two reasons that the Browns would want someone like that, even though PFF isn't in love with them. I, I would be very interested. And again, I'm sure that the teams actually have this like missed tackles that some guys wouldn't have even gotten in the play to miss the tackle stats, right? That, which is the point you're making Scott, like Ellis, I do think that's an interesting thing when you're using these kind of metrics at this kind of position that sometimes if you have good instincts and you're a smart film guy and you're good at reading plays, but you know, you're not whatever you're not the fastest linebacker in the league, 
But man, you're around the ball a lot and you put yourselves in situations to kind of get there just enough to miss the tackle. I can understand how maybe that would show up in grades like this. And Scott, you're making that point that it's like, well, you have a lot of tackles, but you also have a lot of missed tackles. Ellis, how do you try to interpret data like that? That I think maybe in my mind would apply potentially like to a middle linebacker, what maybe more than other positions. Uh, I think you're really honest on me, Doug. I think a position like linebacker, you have to really take the good and the strengths of a certain player and amplify it. If the player is a good sideline to sideline runner, then they're going to move sideline to sideline. They might get dinged for some tackle grades outside or some coverage that doesn't go their way, but the tape at the end of the day doesn't lie with them getting sideline to sideline. What Scott points out about Anthony Walker's strengths in tackling and his familiarity tackling what's in front of him, tackling when facing uh, four defensive linemen's gap responsibilities, right? Like this pairing makes a lot more sense than what the Browns did a year ago with BJ Goodson. Now they're bringing in Anthony Walker to do a lot of what BJ Goodson did a year ago, but BJ Goodson coming from green Bay was playing a multiple front defense, more of a three, four scheme and then was asked to have a heightened role. This piece is going to fit, I think, a lot more tightly inside what Joe Woods wants to do because, like Scott laid out, he did this already just on a better defense, mostly because of what the Colts have behind their front four, and that's what the Browns have been adding this offseason. So you can see the model that Joe Woods and the Browns are, are gearing for, and it's it's that Colts-style defense. They're just missing a linebacker like uh, Darius Leonard to, to, to anchor them, but they may work on that. Scott, I, I know we're going to get in even more like into direct sort of Goodson Walker comparisons, but there are two things that I, I that I, I want to take us a little bit off numbers and film uh, for two things in this sort of linebacker discussion. And one is we've talked about this. I think it can become maybe a regular subset. It doesn't deserve its own podcast, probably on its own, but it can be a subset of got to watch the tape, which has got to feel the emotions. So I do think we can have a got to feel the emotions segment when necessary. And there is a got to feel the emotions part of this. And again, I think it maybe makes sense at middle linebacker more than it would have like, okay, I get if like you're, you're signing a corner who is like a great friend. Like this cornerback will pick people up at the airport. He will help you move. He will cat sit for you. He always sends you a birthday card. He's a wonderful guy. But if you line him up opposite a receiver and he gets smoked on a go route, I don't care if he sends you birthday cards. Darius Leonard is like torn apart by the departure of Anthony Walker, Scott, in a way that is about football, but it's like, all right, well, you missed some tackles. Well, you know, maybe your grade every year isn't the highest, but I, that like, as we try, I think it's interesting to try to fit that into a podcast like this. That's something Scott, right. Isn't it, isn't it something? It was, I think it was definitely noteworthy of the amount. It wasn't just him either. It was other people uh, who had played with him talking about how much he would be missed. Uh, even the GM, Ballard, uh, of the Colts, he had a quote that kind of surfaced that I found from, I guess he, he, he said it right after the season, like their season-ending press conference, about how Walker, how special he was, and that 
he wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a, a GM or a coach someday. Like he has that kind of football IQ and just, he sees that path for him, you know? So it's, it's great locker room guy. It's smart guy. It's all these things kind of wrapped into one and all right, well, maybe the production doesn't rise up to, to those that, you know, to equal those things, but those things do count and coaches obviously and GMs make note of that. And they're a piece of the puzzle on a, on a good team for sure. Ellis, you uh, like emotions. Well, how did well, that hit you? Yeah, gotta feel the emotions. I mean, I, I'm I'm a millennial. You know, you get the the rap music we grew up with now is much more in our feelings and talking about reminiscing and memories. So I'm I'm here for gotta feel the emotions. When I read that, and I, and I got the quote exactly from from Scott's story. I thought it was a great find by him. Um, it really, it's one of those quotes that makes you jump. Like, oh, really? He he's that type of player because it, it reminded me of a quote from uh, Peter King's article on Drew Brees after the Monday after he retired, Drew was talking about how he wanted to, it was right when he got to new Orleans and he was meeting with city leaders and boosters on how to get the city back and thriving again. And his quote was, you know, some of my teammates after practice go home and play 10 hours of Madden and that's fine. They can do that. This is where how I blow off steam and it's with helping the city, right? Like there's just two types of players in a locker room and neither's wrong. Like there's plenty of players in that Browns locker room that go home and play call of duty or Fortnite and are about their business that way. And it sounds like Anthony Walker, perhaps he's a gamer. I'm not knocking video gamers. I'm just saying that this guy has the chops to be an NFL head coach or a GM someday. And that's pretty telling when the guy that made the decision to bring you in for four years, is there is that about you and for a front office like the browns uh, ivy league and analytically driven you can see where that marriage works like players are going to leave the be allowed to leave the facility and anthony walker is going to go upstairs and hang out with the coaches or go into the meeting rooms and talk more football that's what i'm getting from this i have the quote here i can i can read it real quick for for those who hadn't hadn't read it uh, and this is chris ballard I have a special relationship with Anthony Walker, selfless team guy, rare leader. I hope he gets into coaching one day or scouting. Mark my words on this. If Anthony Walker gets into coaching, he will be a head football coach in the National Football League. If he gets into scouting, he'll be a general manager. He's brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and he's made of the right stuff. So, yeah. And this is the other part of this that I think is telling us something. And the Browns got him for one year, three and a half million dollars. That's like half what Case Keenum's making, right? I mean, that's like not even, uh, that's, it's nothing. Like it's, it's, there's no commitment. They have, it's not like he, this is, is this the linebacker plan? Like we go back a couple off seasons to like Joe Schober. Oh no. And it's like the Jags gave him multi-year, $10 million a year. And it's like, you can get, 26 year old was he 25 26 anthony walker heartbeat of the defense future coach wonderful guy good tackler one year 3.5 why would anybody ever spend real draft capital or real money on a linebacker ever again if the anthony walkers of the world are sitting out there at this price scott this is like roster building 
that, it, it, you know, B.J. Goodson was was OK right now. This is an upgrade of that for the same amount of money. Doesn't mean maybe you can't guarantee that there will be an Anthony Walker out there every year for this. But what are we talking I mean, this the Colts are trying to win the Super Bowl right now also. And the Browns got him for this money. Right. I guess this is the linebacker plan. And it, it, it seems like it's going to work if this is they got this guy for this money. Well, a couple of things about Schobert. One, I mean, he's a nice guy, too. <laughs> Number two, he did make I, a pro bowl. I don't I, I don't want to act like I'm not feeling emotions about Joe Schobert. We all felt Joe Schobert emotions. But, you know, it's just like I think you break up and you think I'll never find. And then it's like, oh, Anthony Walker. OK, I mean, it's not like I didn't like Joe, but you get back out there and there are Anthony Walkers in the world out there. So, OK. And well, the other thing is Walker became expendable because the Colts had uh, another linebacker, uh, Bobby O'Creeky, who kind of came on this year and, and really played well with Leonard. So they got two guys who they're going to be fine with. I mean, one's a, a two-time All-Pro. So Walker kind of gets squeezed out. And obviously, as I'm going to get into here in a minute, he has some limitations as well. So You now, get what you pay for. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I also – you, you can do this. And I, and I think we've talked about it a little bit with John Johnson and like free agency is part of sports. Right. And so I think you do have to acknowledge like, well, if the guy's so great, why did his team let him go? Like you, there's some of that that you have to acknowledge. Like the Browns didn't let miles Garrett get the free agency. Right. I mean, like there's like, well, no, that, we're not letting that happen. But also, I don't think you can play the game of like, well, if the guy's so great, his team wouldn't have let him go, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that go into play. I don't think you – you don't want to go too far that way. You don't want to be blind to it. So let's now be realistic about it. So Anthony Walker isn't perfect. He's not perfect. Uh, but who is? Who among us is? Other than the three of us on this podcast. I mean, come on. You guys listen. Scott, okay, so what is it that maybe – okay – these are some things that the Browns will maybe have to make up for in other ways, or fans are just going to have to be aware of that. They are not getting, you know, Brian Arlacher here. Right. Well, let's start this way. Good. Remember BJ Goodson uh, was on the field more than he'd ever been last season. We talked about this before he finished third and defensive snaps for the Browns. He had 848. His previous high had been like 513. And because he rarely came off the field, he's also thrown into coverage more than he'd ever been before. So it was a new, new world for him. Walker has had a higher usage rate than that than Goodson in his career. He's topped 800 snaps once. He's been over, basically been around 300, 700, three different times. But if the Browns want Walker to be what Goodson was, that's still going to be something new for Walker. Walker had just 53 third down snaps in coverage last season. Darius Leonard and uh, Bobby O'Creeky, who's the second year linebacker for them, they both topped 100 snaps in coverage on third downs for the Colts. Uh, Walker had 76 snaps in coverage the year before that, 50 in 2018. So really he's kind of been uh, a lot lower. He's kind of been third guy on the list for the Colts uh, in his time there. Last season, Goodson led the Browns in third down coverage snaps with 98. Like I said, he rarely came off the field. So keeping Walker off the field though on passing downs had made sense because he had graded above 60 in coverage just once in his career. Although we did have career-high three pass breakups last season, and quarterbacks had a passer rating under 100 against him for the first time in his career, 
he still hadn't graded very well. And just overall, he wasn't put in those positions very much. But remember, the low coverage grades really didn't keep the Browns from putting Goodson in coverage a career high 555 times last season. And he responded with the best coverage grade of his career. He was at 66.1. Remember, early in the season, we talked about how poorly he was doing. And he slowly improved. He got better as the season went on. I mean, he's a veteran and he's in a different scheme and he kind of learned his way. And by the end of the season, he was doing better. Walker has also graded in the forties, the last two seasons against the run. And out of the 96 linebackers with at least hundred snaps against the run last season, he ranked 83rd in defensive grade against the run, but he was on a team with a guy who ranked 20th and who never really came off the field in Leonard. So, you know, things kind of balanced themselves out there. He had somebody who can kind of, guard against the things that he might not be able to do as well. So again, Walker might not be the do it all linebacker that fans want, but that doesn't mean the Browns aren't going to try to turn him into one, I guess. So I do want to talk about like linebacker groupings and pairings and how we think this will fit together. But that's a very interesting point you brought up there with Darius Leonard, Scott, Darius Leonard is one of the what 10 best linebackers in the NFL. Ellis Scott, is that like a fair, just rough as we say it, Ellis, how do you think that, affects how how do I say this did Anthony Walker maybe look better than he was because he was playing next to a stud like the stud said you made me better I'm assuming that Darius Leonard also made Anthony Walker better Anthony Walker's coming Darius Leonard isn't what does that mean for Anthony Walker as a Brown Ellis no there's a fair chance of that and Leonard to his left or right or the secondary he had behind him all can make up for some inefficiencies within the player. Scott makes some good points when teasing what the Browns will ask him to do. And that is where I both find hesitation, but then you also see how it could work because again, you're asking him to do exactly what he's already been doing just in a heightened sense. You brought BJ Goodson in to play an entirely new role and cover more than he'd ever covered and not come off the field on third down or ever. That's a whole lot on a, a player's plate when they're expanding their expectations. Anthony Walker, despite not having the the snap rate that, or the usage rate, I should say, that Goodson had, was asked to do all these things in practice, right? Like he knew the the, the keys and, and, the, and the tendencies needed to thrive as a three-down linebacker if need be. He just was never asked to do that. So like Scott said, we're probably going to find out what that looks like, but I have a lot more confidence in the fact that he played next to a handful of really talented players. Meaning he knows what to expect. He knows what this defense looks like in its best form. And then he understands the responsibilities through mental reps and practice, despite not being asked to do so on the field in Indianapolis. If we had to guess right now, and I want each of you guys to guess, which linebacker leads the Browns in snaps in 2021? Is it Anthony Walker? Is it Jacob Phillips? Or is it somebody else? Because I think at the moment, I would guess that those are the two leading candidates, right? I don't, is it Malcolm Smith or Taki Taki or Mac Wilson or somebody else? Scott, who would you guess? Well, I guess Walker. I think the only one who has potential maybe is Malcolm Smith. Um, last season, it was Goodson, 78, Smith, 51, Taki Taki, 40, Wilson, 34. I mean, 
depending on what happens in camp, depending on how Wilson looks, maybe, maybe he's the wild card there, but uh, Malcolm Smith and Walker, I think are your leaders right now. And you'd think they'd want it to be Jacob Phillips, right? Just when you talk about rookie progression, but I'm not sure he's capable of doing that. And then if they draft a guy at 26 or 54, whatever that second round pick is, this conversation changes entirely. But I think as of right now, Walker would have to be the top candidate to lead the linebackers and snaps. Yeah. So if we're guessing right now, and I actually want to do a five minute thing at the end about how we think all these free agent signings affect the draft. Um, if we had to guess right now, first and 10, first game of the season, they don't have three safeties on the field. They have three linebackers on the field. Who are they? Let's say Walker, Taki Taki, and it's first and 10. Yeah. Let's say Walker, Taki Taki, and either Smith or Wilson. Not Phillips? No. You're not a Phillips, Phillips believer? Phillips' position is Walker's position. It was Goodson's position. Like, he's – like, that's the mold. Like, all those three guys are basically the same dude. They all do the same things well. And I look at Walker maybe as a bridge, and they're hoping that by next year Phillips can step into that role because he's a the guy they drafted. But Interesting. for now, I think on the outside, it's, it's Taki Taki and Wilson slash Smith. Tell yeah, us what do you think? No, Scott's 100% right. It's it's Taki Taki, your your run stopper, Walker, your proto, your in a vacuum, do it all type of linebacker. And then I think it's Malcolm Smith. That's the guy you just, you know what you're getting out of him. It's reliable. If it's play action, he's going to drop into coverage. You know exactly what you're getting out of Malcolm Smith. Those three start in week one. I think we're having. Uh, a different conversation come middle of the year. Like Scott said, they're going to, they're, they're going to want to get Phillips in there somehow involved. And if anyone's coming off the field for Phillips, it's likely Walker or Taki Taki. If they go two linebackers and then we're talking three safeties on the field. Could you do something? So then it say it's opening week, it's third and eight on the first series. And now you have, you either have your nickel corner in or you have your third safety. So there's only two linebackers on the field on third and eight. Who are the two linebackers in the field on third and eight? That'd be Walker and Smith, I would guess. It, and is there a chance, like, let's say that Phillips, okay, so if Phillips basically is, like, playing the same position as Walker, could it be Phillips and Smith? Like, is, like if, you're, if you're finding a role for Phillips and Walker is his coverage is his lesser thing, like, could that work? I think third and eight, you're the Browns would be comfortable with Walker and Phillips you're getting two. They're they're probably the two best athletes they have at the position on the field. I think they would be cool with that. And and there were times I remember in camp last year, you would see Phillips play different linebacker spots. Not saying he's good at it. Not saying he's capable. That's something that every team does in camp. We're going to move our guys around. Assuming they do that again in camp this year, and he grows comfortable in doing so. I think you can have your two best athletes on the field at linebacker on third and eight. Okay. All right. So let's Scott, let's get a little more specific, right? I mean, I think people by the end of the year grew to understand what BJ Goodson was and wasn't. And now this guy's coming in instead. I mean, this isn't about the same money, right? Like, is that, that, that they picked what, well, what Goodson we think Goodson's still out there, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. What, what people were projecting that Goodson maybe will sign for now. 
I guess my question is, if they wanted this to be B.J. Goodson instead of Anthony Walker, they could have done that, right? I mean, I, I, should we at least operate under that assumption that they picked Anthony Walker instead of B.J. Goodson? So they looked at this comparison and said, we'd rather have this guy, not Goodson anymore. So what's the comparison directly? Right. So if you compare them uh, for, for PFF grades, it's clear Goodson has been the better player. Uh, he's, graded, he's never graded below 70 as a tackler. He's graded above 83 times including last season. Uh, he has never had more than five missed tackles in a season uh, at linebacker. He's been at least uh, graded 60 in run defense in all but one season. And he was at 60.5 last year. And even though he hadn't had a ton of opportunities and coverage prior to last season, QBs had a passer rating or have a passer rating under 100 against him for his career. So you're right in that, if you just want to hold up just numbers and, and grades and stuff like that, Goodson's going to come out a little bit ahead. But I think, as you mentioned, Walker is two years younger. And depending on what roster you look at, I think he's about 10 to 12 pounds lighter than Goodson. Probably a little faster. Um, those things matter when you're in the middle of the field. Uh, so the Browns are back, though, in a position of not really having a guy at linebacker who excels against both the run and the pass and is – a definite three down guy, but that just makes the Browns like most NFL teams really, because everybody, while everybody has linebackers that they keep on the field all the time, you could probably count uh, on less than 10 fingers, the number of guys who actually excel at that. Like Levante David, one of those guys, Darius Leonard, one of those guys, Bobby Wagner, um, Demario Davis, who was shipped out of here in the end of 2016 became that guy for the saints over the last few seasons. So, but it's, it's rare. Those guys aren't on every team. So the Browns are in the same boat as most teams. It's not the worst thing in the world that they have a guy like Walker, who's mostly a good tacker, tackler. And then you got a guy like Smith, who has become a good coverage linebacker later in his career. Taki Taki, who said, excels against the run. Wilson, who in theory should be good in coverage. Um, and Jacob Phillips, who struggled last year as a rookie. And like we said, he could be the next guy who steps into that Walker role. Um, after he develops a little more because he's kind of in that mold. So this is why the Browns probably seem more likely to have three safeties on the field in 2021, because in John Johnson and Ronnie Harrison and Grant Delpit, the things that those guys do well and their versatility can help mask the limitations that the Browns have with their linebackers. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's probably really, you know, the, the fact that you added a John Johnson and you still have Harrison coming back, you have Delphi coming off injury, that can make maybe a drop in what you lose from Goodson to Walker work because you've improved so much on the back end of your defense. Uh, and like I said, that can mask things that your linebackers can't do. So let me put, let's put a pin on this with this direct question then. Scott first. Is Anthony Walker an upgrade over BJ Goodson? a downgrade from B.J. Goodson or just a similar player and they just made a choice to just go a different way, but it's fans should expect, you know, kind of the same overall production vibe from this type of player. I would call them similar. And I think like similar production vibe, I think him coming in with an understanding of what he's supposed to do here and having done it is important. Goodson kind of had to learn that on the fly, but you know, he's going to be in a different situation than Goodson was. He doesn't have 
you know, Carl Joseph and Andrew Sandejo behind him. He doesn't have, uh, you know, your, your third or fourth nickel corner out there next to him. So it's going to be a different situation, but I think you could probably just call them similar. Alice? I think, yeah, I think the Browns think that this is a slight upgrade. Like, if you put Walker and Goodson in sideline-to-sideline situations, you're going to see Walker get there slightly faster. He's not as stiff. And I'm, I'm splitting hairs here. I mean, on tape, and PFF would pick Goodson as Scott has laid out, you're going you're gonna to get – you're going to see a, a similar player, but as Scott has detailed right at the top of this, the Browns are going to ask him to do more than Goodson. And I think they think they can make him into a, a higher quality linebacker than what they got out of Goodson last year, which was still a, a decent backer. And I think the thing we also, as Scott, you, the, the point that you're making here, and as you said, Ellis Walker will probably be able to hit the ground running in Cleveland faster than Goodson did because of what he's used to playing. And I think what by the by the second half of last season, BJ Goodson was decent. He started off rough and got better. And maybe they get 16 games out of Walker Scott that are more like what Goodson was in the second half of the year after a rough start. Maybe they just get pretty decent play from Walker the whole time. Yeah, I think that's the hope. And look, every every coaching staff thinks they can get more out of a guy than the other team. That's why Carl Joseph was here last year. That's why Tack McKinley's here, you know. You get guys who maybe haven't lived up to their uh, expected potential and, and you want to crack at them and try to get them there. It didn't work with Carl Joseph. Um, maybe it works with McKinley, but with someone like Walker, uh, I'm sure the Browns think that if you place him in, in this defense, which is expected to be better around him, or at least definitely behind him than it was behind Goodson last year, that that's going to matter. And you get a better season out of Walker than he's had the last few years with the Colts. All right, that's Anthony Walker, middle linebacker, new Brown, another new Brown, Troy Hill. He'll be next on Gotta Watch the Tape. Doug Marie, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, David Anderson on video. We're back on Gotta Watch the Tape. Again, when you guys listen to this on the podcast, there's always a post at cleveland.com slash Browns where you can read about it a little bit. And then there's a video in there that helps break down some of this stuff our heads talking but there's usually also some video involved with that makes it cool you can also make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel it's the cleveland browns if you google cleveland browns cleveland.com you'll get there on youtube and you can subscribe to that it's not just got to watch the tape stuff it's when we have you know player interviews with coaches and players david anderson gets those videos together makes them look cool puts them up on the site and sometimes it's nice to see people's faces while they talk you know ears are good i've always said Love ears. Love them. Very important for podcasts. Also good eyeballs. Big fan of eyeballs. So if you want to use both at the same time, check out our YouTube channel. Troy Hill, he's got ears. He's got eyeballs. That's right off the scouting report, right at the top of that. Like when you would write it down. You can't coach that. No. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, it's got to give I mean, I'm telling you, two eyeballs, two ears. Ellis Williams, dive in on Troy Hill on Gotta Watch the Tape. For as big a fan that Doug is of eyeballs and ears, I think he enjoys his mouth the most. (laughs) The way he predicts, uses, and shouts on all of our podcast platforms here at cleveland.com. And about a week ago, we have not given Doug the allotted time 
to celebrate his LeVar Ball-like manifestation of the signing of Troy Hill because about a week ago, Doug said this during one of our roundtables. I quote, he says, I want the Browns to sign somebody who is part Kevin Johnson and part Terrence Mitchell. I don't know if he exists. Doug, you realize less than 24 hours later, the Browns signed Troy Hill. How did, how did this come together? I conjured him. I conjured him out of, it's like I, I asked, I presented these things to Andrew Barry and asked him, can you build a football player? And Andrew Barry said, I'll, I'll do it. And here you have it. So I like to ask for things that I don't know exist. And every now and then you get them. And poof, there he is. So, and that's exactly what happened. His name is Troy Hill. He exists. Andrew Barry added him to Joe Woods defense, signing the six-year veteran to a two-year deal worth $9 million. Just a, a bargain shopping spree. And perhaps that'll be a, a segment we unpack once you know free agency totally comes to a close. It's really just the bargain shopping Andrew Barry is able to pull off this offseason from John Johnson taking probably between two and four million less from the tack deal. We just talked about Anthony Walker to this. It's it's value meets price meets on field production and it's quickly becoming the MO of Andrew Barry. Because again, it's another savvy signing by him and the Browns. He will turn 30 in August, but he's put together two very impressive seasons the past two years in Los Angeles. First playing for Wade Phillips in 2019, used primarily as an outside corner. This past year, former defensive coordinator and now head coach of the Chargers, Brandon Staley, slid Hill inside to man the slot. He did so for two reasons. So first, despite, again, having an excellent season playing outside under Wade Phillips, he was Troy Hill that year in 2019, which we're going to get into in a video breakdown. I've got a a video of him playing inside and then a video from 2019 playing outside that I want to walk through with you guys. We've got the timestamp. So I hope like last week you're able to find the play either through our video man, Dave Anderson, or through your own game pass account or something and go through these plays as we go through them. Again, the outside clip is going to be from 2019. And that's because Wade Phillips trusted him both in relief for injury, they just like the Browns were, were low and diminished and needed to plug a guy in and he, he thrived and in Wade Phillips defense, which was a complete contrast to what Brandon Staley wanted to do. It was a lot more man coverage and cover th- three concepts. So the Browns here are really getting an overall versatile corner, one that can play inside and out thrived in man coverage and cover three off looks in 2019 and then was a zone stud and could get in your face in the slot in 2020. So when Hill was moved inside, Staley did so because he recognized Hill's superb small area quickness and his physicality. Both those traits are pillars of defending the slot. Second, he labeled Hill as one of the team's better tacklers, most likely through watching 2019, 2018 tape, then having a little time with him in training camp. Since all slot corners play so close to the ball, they must provide run support. Now, Scott, you did highlight Hill's inconsistent tackling a year ago in your three things to know. And you were right. The, the, you know, the numbers don't lie. I'm confident he can change that based exactly on what Staley saw. Small era quickness, his physicality, and his ability to really get under blockers. I mean, he, we're talking 5'10", 180 here, right? He, there's only so many ways he can attack ball carriers, and it's that combination of quickness and leverage that he just naturally has. But I think it's important, important to 
keep in mind a theme that we keep arriving to with these defensive signings, right? The Browns continue to ask players who, is, who have either done something in a limited capacity or quite frankly, not at all and plugging them in to a role to see if whether they sink or swim, right? That's really what Staley did to Hill last year. So he threw him to the fire last year and said, hey, look, we haven't, you haven't played much by the line of scrimmage. We think you can be a good tackler. Go out and do it. He was inconsistent. We'll see now if he's had that year to sort of get the kinks out, if he can play towards the line of scrimmage and tackle, or if that's going to be a, a reoccurring theme that he's just not a good tackle corner. I wanted to get the tackling out of the way because these are going to be two plays that break down his coverage. Um, but before we get going on that, guys, just overall thoughts on, on Troy Hill and, and Scott, maybe you want to add, add to the tackling since you made that point earlier on the three things to know. Well, I, I mean, I hope you're right. I'm sure the Browns hope you're right. I, right. I, you, I think the big thing with him is, and I know you'll get to it, is he's here to cover and right. You know, that's that's what cornerbacks are supposed to do. Yeah, they have a role to play in 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 the run against the run and just tackling in general. But you know, if you're if you're not letting your guy catch the ball, if you're in good position, you're doing the things you're supposed to do. The tackling kind of takes care of itself. And um, even if even like we talked about missed tackles before with Walker, and I think when we think of missed tackles, we think of like Anderson Dejo shooting through and just totally not hitting anything, or you're you know. Nick Chubb juking somebody where they don't even touch him. That, yeah, that's a missed tackle. That's an avoided tackle too, I guess. But, you know, hitting somebody, knocking them off stride and slowing them up, even though you didn't get the tackle, that still matters. And, you know, so when we think of missed tackles, don't just think of a whiff. <laughs> missed tackles, like not wrapping someone up, not completing it. But you could still be effective and have an impact on the play if it's technically a missed tackle. I would like to just something that you're mentioning here, Ellis, and I think it is like a roster building strategy. So I, there's generally like there's three types of players in the league, right? There's like the guys that are good and you know are good and you have no doubts about and you'll pay them because you're paying them for what they've done on fully believing they're going to keep doing it. Miles Garrett. He is. There's no doubt about it. Then there are guys who have done some things and that you might end up in a position of paying them for what they've done, but you're not sure that they're going to keep doing it. And you might be paying for the past or be paying for some situational stuff that worked there, but are you sure it's going to work with you? And I think there were some guys out there in this market that that would apply to. And we talked about the last podcast. I think Trey Hendrickson for the Bengals is like, is a guy exactly like that. You're paying like 14 sack production money that you have no idea if the guy's actually going to replicate that. And the Browns are not going to be in that business. I don't think. And then there are the guys of like, well, they've done this. What if we pay them sort of on what they've done and then ask them to do a little more? And then they actually might end up being worth more than we're paying them. But the shot we're taking is not make or break. It's not $10 million a year for a guy. So if we miss, we miss. And I think there is some, so I, we've had a little bit of a recurring theme of the Browns sign a guy and then ask him to do more than he's done. And I, that's, clearly a strategy at this point because they're hoping that the answer is yeah i could do it nobody just ever nobody ever asked me to but i can and now they're getting a bargain and if you miss doesn't kill you so like i like like this to me i think we're as andrew barry keeps making moves in the future 
I would imagine the conversations that we've had about BJ Goodson and Anthony Walker and Troy Hill will continue to have conversations about that, Ellis, because it's not an accident. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And they don't ask them to do something that will be completely detrimental, right? Like the common thread between BJ Goodson and Anthony Walker was they're really good tacklers. Well, what do you want your linebacker to be? You want them to be a really good tackler and then we'll figure the other stuff out, right? We can cover up the other inefficiencies. Troy Hill is a really good cover corner. If he continues to struggle in tackling, we're going to find ways to protect him in that. So they, they get one part and the important part, right. And then they'll figure the rest out. And that's where I think that you see the, accuracies of Andrew Barry's roster building when he's formulating these one, two year deal type of free agents. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So inside, go ahead, Scott, go ahead. I was saying, think about what Malcolm Smith said uh, last week too. You know, he, I know he's known for, you know, a pick six in the Super Bowl, and, but he wasn't an elite coverage corner or a coverage linebacker earlier in his career. He got better later in his career. And he mentioned how he was thrown into some coverage situations that were tough early yeah. in his career. And he learned from that. So, you know, when we look at Mac Wilson or, or really any of the linebackers or, you know, anybody on defense here that you can improve, you know, these, like you said, putting you in that position and giving you exposure to that can make you better because it clearly did with, with Malcolm Smith. Yeah. And then from the, the Brown standpoint, if they don't get better, then they're out and they move on. And then they, they go on to the next guy for a medium one year deal. All right, Ellis. So inside, we're starting inside with Troy Hill with your breakdown. Yes, we are. Yep. So this is a first, our first rep here is going to be Troy Hill in the slot. It comes in week 13 of the 2020 season, fourth quarter, four minute, 42 seconds left to play. It's a third and nine situation. The Rams are up a score here. So Arizona is looking to move the sticks. This is going to be a throw. It's a, it's essentially a speed out. It's quick game. The reason they're throwing short of the sticks on third and nine, aside from the data that says throw short and let your player try to pick up a first down through yak. It is a two, it's a two down situation. So they're going to go for it on fourth down here. If, if Troy Hill makes this tackle or if the, if it's a catch and get down type of situation, but you'll see both based on a, very difficult throw that Kyler Murray decides to take and just a superb showcase of his quickness, his reaction time and his ball skills to make this play. So a year ago, Hill was one of the NFL's top corners against the slot. Uh, He made three interceptions from that alignment scoring twice. He only allowed one touchdown. Again, the tape shows a player confident, in his overall speed. If Hill does lose a step, he's comfortable playing a trail technique, which we'll get to on his outside rep until he fully recovers against quick game, which this rep is about to show he's deadly. The play is one of Hill's return touchdowns from a year ago. Again, week 13, fourth quarter, they're starting at their own 25. They've only gained a yard on this drive so far. Murray desires a quick completion when we get to the tape we see hill lined up with good depth against the arizona slot receiver you have a a guy deep onto the numbers and a bunch formation to the left as we roll the snap hill gets great depth the rams roll to really a cover one look this becomes man coverage 
and Hill recognizes right away once Murray gets into his third drop in his step and the receiver in the slot starts to break on his out, Hill plants that right inside leg right at the 40-yard line and begins his drive on the football. What I love about this rep is it is where film recognition meets player skill. Once Kyler Murray's hand comes off the football and Hill recognizes quick out, he drives and he gets so far in front of this football that by the time he intercepts it, he's two and a half, three yards downfield and it's an easy walk in score. Again, his quickness is on full display, but I also respect the, the guts to jump this route because yes, he does have one deep safety help, but if this is a wheel route, if this is a route going deep down the sideline, this could have been a big play for Arizona setting them up for a tie or a two point conversion. Instead, again, Hill puts his foot in the ground, makes a distinct decision and ends a football game. That's something we saw when we broke down the Denzel Ward tape, right? A guy making a split decision, driving on the football, using film recognition and ending a game. This is one Hill took back for six and in a quick game situation, it's what you want to see from a slot corner sitting on an out route and then making a play on the football. Is that our friend Andy Isabella that he's covering there in the slot? It Andy is, yep. Isabella, Mayfield uh, High School's Andy Isabella is a burner. Uh-huh. And this is also, there's some of Troy Hill, like having faith in his own speed, right? That like, okay, this guy's like a four two five guy coming off the line, but I'm not so afraid of him that I'm all going to play super off and be afraid to make a break, right? That it's a little bit of believing in your guys around you but it's a little bit of believing in his own ability against a guy who was a pure speed dude and being willing to make a play on this. Cause Scott, come on, Scott Pasco. Did you cover Andy Isabella in high school? I covered him in track. I don't know if I ever saw him play football, but I did see him at state track and he was a, he was a big deal. Burner. <laughs> yeah. Burner. So like, this is like that, that, that adds a little bit to this rep for me, Scott, that, that you, I just think you can see, and it kind of what we talked about with John Johnson I think these, these Rams defense, I think, feels like it was well-coached in a lot of ways. I mean, their coach, their defensive coordinator's got a head coaching job. But they had some guys with ability who had the confidence to believe in their ability to make plays, and that's what Troy Hill did here. The Rams have some guys with ability on defense. There's your understatement of the year. <laughs> I mean, I just shoot it straight, Scott. I just – I'm not afraid. I don't care what people say. Aaron Donald's good. Yeah. You know <laughs> – when I watch this, I think uh, this is Hill taking advantage of a really bad decision by Kyler Murray because that's not yeah. the pass that should have thrown. Um, he had, I don't know if it's a, a tight end, it's hard to tell, but he has someone going across the middle with a linebacker in coverage that probably gets him the first down. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, you have a, like you said, you have a, a cornerback who diagnoses what's going on. And look, he, he could see, I mean, these two receivers almost run into each other, you know the slot guy doing the out route there and, and the guy who's wide um, almost running into each other as Hill slips through and, and catches the interception. So you got to make teams pay. And, you know, the Browns, they had their moments on defense with the interceptions last season. That was something that they were probably good at past defensive wise, at least over the first half of last season. But now you're adding someone else who obviously is good at that as well. And um, yeah, it's only going to make them better. And it's just, this is a really bad throw by Kyler Murray. 
And it is, but as you said, and it's, I mean, it's a highlight for him. So, I mean, if, if oh, yeah. it were to hit Troy Hill in the face and fall into the ground, we wouldn't be looking at it, but it's nice. <laughs> I mean, guys make mistakes all the time. Is it a matter of, are you going to make him pay for the mistake or not? And he made him pay for it, Ellis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a game ending situation. I think that it, again, it's a terrible decision by Kyler Murray, but the ability to both recognize the route and then the quickness being on full display, it's, his break on that football is something that you're going to be able to find in his tape, whether that route is ran 15 yards downfield and it's a deep in or a deep out to the sideline. He can play that type of cushion that he gives Isabella at the start of the rep because he knows he has the closing speed to break on something if it is in front of him. Yep. Yeah, to be clear, Phil is the biggest reason why this is a bad decision. <laughs> right. 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 Is he as good outside? Yep. So when we when we when I turned on his tape for outside reps, I realized I needed to go to 2019 because when they their 2020 system, he manned the middle of the field so often, and I think it's it's going to be so intriguing to watch how John Johnson and Troy Hill are used inside with this team because it is a lot of the pillar and inside infrastructure of what this Rams defense was. So when I was trying to find reps of Hill outside, there were some, but it was much more situational or when a running back is placed outside and he just goes with them. It wasn't traditional outside receiver coverage. So when we go to the 2019 tape, this is week 14, again, of 2019, 42 seconds left in the first quarter. In 2019, Hill played over 500 snaps at outside corner. As I said, the Rams dealt with injuries all year wrong, and Hill moved from either left or right quite consistently. To me, that means Hill is comfortable in three different spots throughout the secondary, both outsides and in the slot. And really, that's as versatile as you can get for a 5'10", 5'11", 185-pound corner. Again, watching his 2019 tape was a lot of fun. Teams really tried him in for, for good reasons. Prior to his 2020 season, he had never started more than nine games. He'd been a bit of a journeyman and a backup. We've detailed how he was an undrafted rookie. The Bengals signed Hill in 2015, cut him that December. He lasted five days in New England before landing with the Rams. And he just was a serviceable backup up until those 2019 injuries forced him in. And he capitalized on those. He started eight games. He allowed a stiff 45.1 reception percentage. And this play that we're about to walk through exemplifies why Hill doubles as both an option as a slot defender and the primary slot defender for this team and simple greedy Williams insurance outside. I mean, Doug, that's really why you said you want half Terrence Mitchell, right? It's keeping in mind what the Browns, reality is that outside corner it looks good on paper but we don't know what greedy williams is no it's just a it's a specific situation therein with the guy who didn't play for a whole year that they assume is starting but i just i just think like if the slot corner right isn't going to play as much as the outside corner and to be like hey we signed a slot corner that we love and our other starting outside corner can't go but like our third best corner isn't an option to play out there because they can't do it. So now we're going to our fourth best corner. And so now you're in situations where, 
hey, it's first down. We have three linebackers, or we have three safeties or three linebackers on the field. And we have our best corner and our fourth best corner on the field because this guy we're paying can't do it. Like that just felt like, so that's, he answers, he answers all the questions. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's exactly what the Browns see in him. And this play, if there's any instant where Greedy Williams won't be on the field, Browns fans have peace of mind with Hill out there because this is Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks, and their group of receivers in this game in 2019. It's a rookie DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Josh Gordon's actually on the field uh, in this game. He has a few receptions. It's, it's Russell Wilson throwing it deep, and it's exactly why you're just not afraid with Hill's experience, both in cover three and man looks. So the Rams are facing a first and 10 from midfield with Russell Wilson in shotgun and a running back to his right, meaning Hill must be ready for everything. This could be run. This could be quick game. This could be double move deep. They're trying me for six. And the latter is exactly what they do. He's lined up top right versus DK Metcalf. Los Angeles is in a cover three shell with Hill having deep third responsibilities. Aside from intercepting the football here, this is a rep he executes perfectly. At the snap, the Seahawks run an exchange route to confuse Hill. Lockett, the number two receiver in the bunch, pushes over the top of Metcalf as Metcalf slides under, and Lockett fights vertically upfield. Then, 15 yards downfield, Lockett hits Hill with a little stutter move, trying to freeze the defensive back. Hill does briefly slow, but as Lockett bursts deep, Hill taps into that unique, reliable recovery speed And as the ball's in the air, he then shows off his athleticism, leaping for it and going up for what turns out to be a two-handed swat. I'm sure he would have loved to come down with the interception. But to fully extend his 5'10 frame and eliminate this play, to me it popped. I thought it was special. Sure, he should have picked it off. But it's an impressive rep that he wins. And really, whether playing inside or out, Hill brings a rare combination of speed intelligence and playmaking for what as of right now on paper is your number three corner spot. Scott, you can see as Russell Wilson is releasing the ball, he's releasing the ball right at the moment where he's expecting Tyler Lockett has made the little move. And now Tyler Lockett's going to explode past this corner and be gone. And it's going to be open and Hill doesn't let it happen. But Scott, I mean, how often do we see on move plays like this, either the corner bites so hard, he takes himself out of the play or he doesn't have the speed to recover. And so it's over. And we see guys get burned on plays like this all the time and Hill doesn't let it happen. Oh yeah. I think the thing that stands out on this play is Hill's hips. And that like when, when the fake to the out route comes, Hill doesn't turn. He just, he does slow down, but he kind of just backs up and he's still in position to keep going downfield. He doesn't commit to that. And that allows him to be in that position to, to kind of make up ground then and swat it away. It's just, yeah, he's just in good, good position the whole way. And it doesn't matter whether it is an out or if he keeps it going, Hill's ready to go either way. As Alice, as you said at the start, like it's hard. It's like, you were like, well, it could be this. It could be this. It could be this. It could be this. And Troy Hill standing out there. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's Russell Wilson. All the receivers on the field are dangerous. And he just, he's just there the whole time. But the whole reason Russell Wilson is taking the shot is because so often guys aren't there. Like it is one of these things at corners. Sometimes when it happens, well, like, you make it look easy. It's like, all right, well, good coverage. You're right there the whole time. But man, 
how many times have we seen that it doesn't happen? It's it's just it is a very reassuring rep, as you said. Yeah, this is a Browns defense that was beat a handful of times with double moves this season. It's a secondary that got used to. Again, I go back to how we started this pod and what you said a week ago, part Terrence Mitchell. I see so much Terrence Mitchell in this rep because of the way the Seahawks were just striving to drive him, craving to try him. They targeted him, I believe, seven times in this game. He only allowed four receptions, and most of it was underneath stuff. Here on this rep, and Scott lays out a great point about his hips, the way he opens up, the way he knows to keep space, which again is a confident corner because he knows that despite the separation, I have the speed to recover. That is going to be something we see all throughout his 2021 tape. I'm sure it's something in his technique. He's clearly been taught and something he relies on, but we see him here also playing to the field. So he really is the number one corner in this situation, playing to the field, to the strength, and playing outside and being tried 45 yards downfield versus one of the game's better. Just, I mean, in general, Tyler Lockett to Russell Wilson, we've seen how many times they get open deep. It's something that, again, should just give Browns a complete peace of mind that regardless of what happens with Greedy Williams, the outside corner spots will be taken care of. If the Browns need to figure out something in the slot because they move him out, that's fine. But the goal of football is to not get beat deep and Troy Hill doesn't allow that. All right. So as we envision like what Troy Hill's 2021 will go like, there's the greedy's healthy and it's fine scenario. And there's the, or whether it's Denzel Ward and injuries happen to everybody. There's the, are you forced into the outside role? We know, I mean, you know, I don't know that anybody would have envisioned Terrence Mitchell's 2020, which is what he led the defense in snaps. You know, that, I don't know that was anybody's on their board in August. H- how do you think it unfolds? Ellis and whatever different scenarios you think there might be there. What's Troy Hill's season going to look like? If you're basing it off what we know from this Brown secondary, it is going to be a lot of variable and flexibility. I think he'll start in the slot, but there's going to come a time when Denzel misses a game or two or greedy perhaps has a setback and he's your outside starting corner. He's your number one corner. And it won't be all season long, but there will not be. I think the better prediction is this. Like Troy Hill won't have more than four games in a row where he's starting at the same position. And that's not risking or wishing injury on anybody or, or saying that he's better than greedy Williams outside. None of that. It's just going to be because of circumstance. This corner has proven durable, durable and flexible. And Joe Woods knows he's getting a reliable guy at either spot. And just with the the red flags at both corners right now that the Browns have, just in terms of availability, he's going to be the guy that is going to be in there week in, week out, playing slot, inside left, inside right, fielder boundary. It's not going to make a difference. And the kind of things that the Rams asked him to do, right? When we talk about, you know, there's usage. It's like how he'll be used in Cleveland is how you have it down to finish this up. There's like the, well, What's he going to play, right? Will he be inside or outside? And then there's like like what a defensive coordinator asks him to do. And we talked about that with Anthony Walker. What Joe Woods is going to ask him to do in the type of defense that they want to play, does it fit with what he's done in the past? Like that kind of thing? Like it, is, it, it, is it just a good fit in a variety of ways? Or is there anything with the fit where there's a little bit of a question mark? 
I think it's a perfect fit. I have zero concerns about what he's going to be able to do. And it's all because of the pedigree he's coming from, coming from Los Angeles. And again, it's going to be fascinating to follow how Joe Woods deploys the inside defense of Troy Hill and John Johnson. Wade Phillips asked them to do a whole lot of different things than Brandon Staley did. And they exceeded in both roles. Both can play man, both can play zone. Both are comfortable with two high looks. Again, in 2020, the Rams led the league in two high looks. Some like close to 80% of the time they were in two high shells. In 2019, Wade Phillips is your traditional cover one, cover three type defensive coordinator with the Rams. He was for those seasons and he excelled there. Also, I could see Scott brought this up and I, I, I think about it like four times a week of Joe Woods potentially blitzing more with guys like this. I could see John Johnson lining up right inside of Troy Hill in the slot, both on the right or something to the, to the boundary, the shorter side of the field. And then they send Troy Hill on a blitz and they drop John Johnson to take Hill's man or take that soft zone in the short area. There's going to be flexibility and options with these guys. And it's going to be up to Joe Woods to either play straight forward rush four, play coverage with seven and do that well, or to get exotic, to get different and, and see where these guys can excel with bringing different pressures off the edge. So we know, again, he's part Kevin Johnson, part Terrence Mitchell. It is a hedge, but if everybody's healthy, he's the slot corner. Scott, again, like to, to finish this up and just put a point on it. We know Kevin Johnson went through some stuff last year, earlier in the year, and the season didn't go how he wanted. If Troy Hill is healthy, how would you compare what should be expected of what he does as a slot corner for the Browns in 2021 versus what they got at slot corner in 2020 with Kevin Johnson and the other guys they had to use there? Well, what they got in 2020 wasn't great. Um, and at, Kevin Johnson was the, the best of the bunch. Um, he graded at 52.7 in coverage last season. Um, had a passer rating against him of 104.5. So, we, we talked, and not just on this podcast, but on some of our other podcasts about, well, why don't they resign Kevin Johnson? He's versatile. He could play inside and outside. He did it this season. But the thing that Hill, the way Hill's different from Johnson is that, yes, Johnson can do those things, but Hill can do them well. When Johnson played out wide for three games late in the season, he struggled. Like he had his two worst passer ratings against him. In, in two of those three games. The other one was the Ravens and they like passed 17 times or something. So I don't even count that, but like 118.8 against and like 132 passer rating against, he just, he was not good on the outside last season and he didn't do it a month that much, obviously. Um, but I think that's the big difference in that if it comes to it, Hill's a better option there and Hill's already a better option in slot. And I think, they kind of doubled up. They, they threw some guys in at the slot. You had MJ Stewart as well uh, in that equation. And I think they wanted to see what rose there. Kevin Johnson was coming off one good year uh, with the bills and the Browns are hoping to duplicate that. And like a lot of their one year contracts, it didn't work out. So now you move on to somebody who has a better track record and Hill, and uh, you have to figure that they're going to get more out of him. You're nodding along here, Ellis. You seem to have no doubt that this is an upgrade in the slot. Without question. Kevin Johnson, again, versatile, but limited. It, it was really telling when Joe Woods was talking before the Chiefs game 
which is all the injuries. It, maybe it was the Steelers game when Denzel was out and they were hopefully getting other guys back. And he just said uh, the way he ended a lot of his answers was guys are just going to have to make plays. Like at the end of the day, you can scheme these things up, but the ball is snapped and defensive players react to what's in front of them. And though Kevin Johnson could be put in those positions, he didn't react well in them. Troy Hill, two seasons of solid production, both inside and out playing for two different talented defensive coordinators, both years, those defensive units were impressive this past year, finishing as the number one defense in football. This is a clear cut upgrade. All right. Those are two other free agent signings for the Browns. Great breakdowns by Ellis and Scott. I want to do one thing about the draft before we wrap this up real quickly. And we'll be right back to do that on Gotta Watch the Tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape, Doug Lamarie, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko. The thing I want to talk about very quickly is I had sort of wondered or theorized. I know, you know, Ellis and I are both all about Zayvon Collins and linebacker. And it's like, hey, like last year, they sort of left a spot in free agency. And it was like, well, they didn't sign a left tackle. I guess they're drafting a left tackle. Like we all saw it coming. I thought they might do that with something at linebacker or leave a spot. It feels like to me that with Tack McKinley at end, Troy Hill in the slot, John Johnson at safety, Anthony Walker at linebacker, they really, they didn't leave to me like the obvious, 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 like if we don't draft the guy who's ready to play right away here, we have to go sign somebody else. And I think we all still think, well, I mean, they could use a little something at corner still. They could use a little something at edge rusher still. They could use something at linebacker still. But I feel like, and this is what happens, right? That my view of the draft has been affected by what happened in free agency. It still feels like, yes, there are things they need to do on defense, but I feel like they're wide open. Like I just, I feel like with what they've done here, they have just opened the door on best guy available. My God, if a receiver falls, we'll take a receiver at 26. If a corner's there, yeah, you probably want a young edge rusher to pair with tack, right? That if Porter Gustin's in your edge rusher mix, who's your other, like, you still you need somebody there. So I get it. But Scott, like just that idea, I think is interesting to me that they didn't leave to me an obvious one. Like, I think you could put your starting 11 out there on defense today and plus have a couple of your sub package guys. You probably have your top 13 or 14 guys on defense if you needed to do that which gives them the freedom to go best available. How, how has the free agency affected your draft expectations? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the philosophy is with free agencies for need and the draft is for value and, and depth. And that's, that seems to be the track that the Browns are on. There are like they, Andrew Barry Laster, he drafted a safety. He drafted an interior defensive lineman and he drafted a linebacker. Um, so you have potential uh, guys in the future at those three positions so I look at that and I think, well, edge rusher and cornerback seem to be definitely in play because you don't have young guys that you drafted um, or even young guys that, that you think, you know, you, you're going to develop at those spots. So I would be surprised if they don't come out of the draft with those, at least those two. I'm not saying they're going to draft one of them in the first round, but I think you come out of the draft with those two spots. But you're right. I don't think they have to look at this as we got to get a starter like they did with with tackle last season. Um, they definitely have, they, they could come out of with a guy who who's 
becomes a, a bigger part of the rotation than maybe Jordan Elliott did last year, or maybe more than Jacob Phillips did at linebacker. But yeah, I don't, yeah. Coming out of it with a starter, I don't think that is, that is the focus. I couldn't agree. You go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I yeah. couldn't agree more that their biggest yeah. need is still going to be linebacker, but they're yeah. not searching for a starter. So if you see a corner drop, JC Horn, Greg Newsom, then yeah, they're going to grab that player at 26 because it's value. And what does that mean for Grady Williams? I don't know. We'll figure it out later. Like Doug said, if there's a receiver that falls, what does that mean for Odell or Jarvis Landry? I don't know, but don't run and scream that, Oh no, now Odell's going to be traded. That's this team is, has so few holes that now they can just stockpile depth and talent. And Doug's been on it from the jump that this is what happens with good teams you land value in the later parts of the first round, either during that season or the next year, they replace that veteran that you grew accustomed to seeing in your lineup and your rotation two or three years before that. And life goes on in this league. And that's where the Browns are at. So I think everything's in play. The linebackers in need, the edge rusher is they're probably whoever they pick at 26 probably isn't starting week one. I think that the most interesting thing that I think it definitely opens up and it probably would have been there anyway, because as Scott said, they know the deal, right? That talent and value and best available and free agency is need. That's a point very well said, Scott, but I do think this clearly had to be an off season for the defense. And if you felt like, man, we still need like Ellis again, I don't know my, like my Zayvon Collins love, I think is slightly dimmed. It's not gone. He still might be the guy but I just feel like it opens up for like a receiver that they think is one of the 15 best players in the draft who just falls for some reason. And all of a sudden, because listen, this is not the point of this podcast today, but Jarvis and Odell both aren't going to be on the team in 2022, right? That's just, it's just not what's going to happen. And are you sure that in that world that Higgins and people's Jones and the other guys you have are good enough to be like the idea of like, we're okay. Hey, like a starting receiver fell in our lap. He's not starting in 2021, but he is starting in 2022. And we think he's awesome. And we can't believe we've like, if they didn't do all this stuff and they were like, man, we really like this receiver, but man, we just need this edge thing. We got to have an edge guy. Cause we're trying to win the super bowl this year, or we need a linebacker. The receiver thing is the most interesting thing to me that that is in play without a doubt now to me. Yeah, Doug, I want to help write your future column on this, so you're feel free to take this from me. <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, like the Cowboys a year ago with C.D. Lamb, if there is a guy who falls and you can stockpile an embarrassment, embarrassment of riches at receiver, you go for it because we need to keep this in mind. And I'm reiterating something I think we all know, but has been pushed to the back because this offseason has been so focused on defense. The Browns aren't trying to win games with their defense all of a sudden. You know, their their philosophy on how to win games in 2021 is not going to change. The plan is to outscore the opponent every week. And if that means putting 30 up, they're going to do it. And what better way to do it than to stockpile, have a trio of receivers, go receiver at 26 because someone falls and then with pick 59 90 92 101 attack the defense right plug in your guys there if you got a chance to get a stud and really unlock this offense and give it what it was missing in Kansas City both by plugging Odell back in and finding 
a first round receiver, I mean, the Browns will be the offseason darlings like it's 2019 all over again. We'll do some draft stuff on got to watch the tape. I mean, we, as we get closer, I think we need to do something where we look at some film and look at some numbers or whatever, and try to figure out who we think like the best value would be if he falls to 26 or whatever. Like I think the five guys that would be the best value who are reasonable guys, we can do some stuff. We, we're going to be doing a ton of draft stuff. We know we're doing it all the time. I got to watch the tape. Tim Felix breaking down draft stuff. Everybody's talking about it, but I think here with our numbers and film, there's a way for us to get into that too. So uh, they're in a good spot. I, I, I swear, I think I'm writing this this week. Tell just, and I like when you guys help me write stuff. Just tell me if this is stupid. I just want to write a column just to remind people, because I'm pretty sure that everybody gets it, but I want to make sure the Browns are trying to win the Super Bowl this year. Like everybody knows that. Right. Does everybody know that? Or I just want to maybe remind the 20 percent of the people who think like, oh, they're trying to get better and they're improving and like we're building something. It's like, yes, but also they are trying to win the Super Bowl right now. And right now they're one of the five best teams in football. Like, is that is it is it okay if I remind people of the obvious, Scott? That's okay. I I think, man, I would hope they would know that. I mean, the. The Browns are no longer in that, well, they're a couple years away, you know, group. They're, they're in going for it now. And like you pointed out, Odell and Jarvis aren't going to be on this team together uh, in, in another year. So the window is now. The window is open. It's now. And, yeah, if you want to remind people that that's fine. I think, I think going forward, um, we're probably going to start – it's weird, but we're probably going to start talking about when does this window close, you know? When when have we like when have we ever had that conversation with the Browns? But the window is definitely open for this team. Doug, even uh, if we were going to tell you that that was a stupid premise for a column, you'd still write it anyway. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's be real. You know me so well by now, Ellis. I've learned it. You figured me out. Just because it's stupid, I was going to say, just because it's stupid and obvious doesn't mean I'm not going to write it. It actually is the reverse of that. Stupid and obvious is my wheelhouse. That's what I do. That's also, that's another spinoff pod. Stupid and obvious with Doug LaMaurice. Um, I, won't ma- I won't rope you guys into that. You don't have to be associated with that. Okay. All right. So uh, that's good. So we, I'm glad we've covered. We've covered four really important free agents. That's what we want to do here on Gotta Watch the Tape. We react to it in a great way right away on the Orange and Brown Talk every day. And then this allows us to take a little step back, dive in in detail. And obviously, Scott and Ellis did a great job with that today. Thanks to you guys for joining us. We'll keep rolling on Gotta Watch the Tape. Listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast five days a week and read cleveland.com slash browns. For Ellis and Scott, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.